think that the challenge that's really spurred us on is the concept of generosity. We've been given so many blessings and resources. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that there's not lots to do in Australia. It doesn't mean that there's lots, there's still lots of student ministry to do in Australia. But for example, just thinking about student ministry in Australia, we have been incredibly blessed. And so we need to be generous with those resources. It doesn't mean that it will always be one way either from Australia to, to elsewhere. In fact, we're already seeing that going everywhere. But the, I think the principle that Paul talks about it uh, from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is generosity. And, and really that we, those, those who have in this moment need to be generous with what they, what they have. Hi, Mark Peterson here on The Heart of Mission. Student ministry overseas. What do you reckon? Could you work with university students in Europe or Japan or Latin America? If you're a Christian and you've been to uni in Australia, you probably have some idea how significant student ministry can be. It's a crucial time of life filled with experiences and relationships, and you're making decisions that often have a major impact on the direction of your life. Speaking personally, my involvement in student ministry at Sydney Uni in the 90s was really the time when I became an adult Christian, taking seriously what I'd learned as a kid raised in a Christian family, but just getting the space and the prodding to be able to think and reflect and question, but all within a supportive environment. I'm so thankful to God for all the people who journeyed with me on that, both the wise, mature leaders with their patient, prayerful nurturing of my faith, as well as the fellow travelers and the enduring friendships that emerged from that. Now, as I think about global mission, and this idea of sharing the riches we have here in Australia with the less resourced parts of the world, it seems to me that student ministry and the experiences and expertise that many Aussies have in doing this well would have to be one of the more obvious ways we could be generous. And because of the prayers and vision of many who've gone before us, CMS has sent out numerous workers to do student ministry in areas of the world where the church is much less resourced. We heard Arthur and Tammy back in episode one of season four speak of how different the staffing situation is in campus ministries in the Tanzania Fellowship of Evangelical Students, where it's not multiple staff workers per campus, but rather multiple campuses per staff worker. Well, this is the norm for the CMS missionaries involved in student ministry around the world. Masses of gospel opportunities for long-term cross-cultural workers, a harvest that is indeed ripe. But how do you work out if it's for you? Our guest today is Martin Field, who with his wife, Julie, and four young kids headed to Argentina with CMS nearly 16 years ago to do student ministry. Cordova, where they ended up, was not their first campus experience. In fact, it was Martin's fourth. There was a natural progression for Martin to go into student ministry here in Australia, but the process of working out whether they could do that overseas took a while. And one of the questions they had to work through was, how naturally would they be able to connect with people from different cultures and backgrounds? So much of ministry is about connection. Would this be able to happen in an overseas context? Well, God provided them with the answer to that question. But just before we meet Martin, I also need to tell you, it hasn't all gone smoothly. He's going to tell us about a long and difficult struggle in the Argentine student movement that really decimated the ministry. It caused a lot of pain and some tough reflection. Was it worth it? And would you keep going back if you'd seen such difficulty? 
The fields have learned a great deal through this experience and I learned a great deal through talking it through with Martin. Let's meet him now. Countless souls around the world who do not know Jesus and can't easily access the gospel. This is the heart of mission. What small role can you play in God's big world? Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, their stories and perspectives can really help us. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Martin Field, it's fabulous to have you on the Heart of Mission podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Now, we met back at uni a long time ago now in the early 90s. What do you remember of our time at uni together? They were good times. For me, they were great times as uh, growing as a, as a Christian and just having so many ministry opportunities. They were, they were uh, great days. It was amazing being on campus, wasn't it? I mean, it was a while back. Now we're talking um, early 90s. But amazing just to have all of that that those opportunities with people and their situation in life, they're asking big questions and so on. And, and, and we, you know, you get so much as a student sort of thinking about the gospel and ways to make Christ known. There's youthful enthusiasm and so on. Um, you learn skills yourself of sharing the faith and discipling people and so on. You went from there uh, into insurance. Yeah, that's right. That's what you do with a basic science degree. <laughs> if you haven't done honors, if you haven't done something else. Um, so I worked for an insurance company for three years, which I won't name because it's, it's gone under. Uh, oh. it, it wasn't my fault, <laughs> but yeah, but again, they were good years too, in terms of learning to relate to guys in the workplace. They were good. There were some good evangelistic opportunities. Yeah. But it was a good, good experience. It wasn't directly related to what I'd studied at uni, but it was, it was still a good time. But no doubt something nagging in you because you went off to do a ministry apprenticeship to Western Sydney. Mm. Yeah, tell us about that time. Who were you working with there? So I got married to Julie in 95. So while I was working and then we decided to move out west to, to Western Sydney Uni to Penrith. We were yeah doing the apprenticeship with Steve Gooch, who was the trainer out there. That was a great experience. It was very different to Sydney University. So our, our two uni experiences were, were, were vastly different. So most people at Western Sydney Uni were first generation of uni students and from different cultures, different backgrounds, but it was very much getting things going from, not from scratch, obviously the group was already happening, but it was just slower and harder and gathering people was, was harder. And so it was quite a different experience. And in fact, interestingly, like it really was probably provided for us a better background and training for our time in Argentina, because that's actually when we got to Argentina, that's what we were doing very much more like what we did at Western Sydney Uni than, than a ministry like at Sydney Uni or Cumberland campus where Julie had studied. And, and it was actually during this time that this, the question for you of becoming an overseas gospel worker really started to bubble along, wasn't it? What, what happened once you, yeah, tell us about that process and then what you decided to do. Yeah. So I think we did the ministry apprenticeship thinking and working out whether we'll cut out for a vocational ministry. And we we're encouraged by that to, con to keep considering that we were, uh, really enjoyed student, student work. Julie had become a Christian in her first semester of university. So obviously it was very key, but through the Christian group, uh, and that was key for her. For me at yeah, Sydney uni, like I said, had grown heaps. So we were keen to, to suss out opportunities for university ministry somewhere else. 
or, or, or anywhere really in the world. And it was just a case of working out where then, then I studied at more college and I would come back every week from college with a new idea as to where we should go, depending on who'd spoken that week, whether it was the Nigerian bishop on, they were off to Nigeria or someone from Southeast Asia, off to Southeast Asia until Julie basically said, no, enough, stop doing that. I can't cope. <laughs> That's too, tr- too difficult to, to consider all these different ideas. So it was still open on the, uh, as an option. It was a case of working out where we might serve in that capacity. In the end, funnily enough, we ended up back at Cumberland campus, part of Sydney uni where Julie had become a Christian. So we didn't go very far at all to start with. Yeah. And so you'd had that commitment to miss ministry, uh, that you, you knew you wanted to do something with your lives in ministry, but, and you were open to overseas, but the question of discerning of that, where you would go was still open. Yeah. But for Julie, especially you were saying to me earlier that I guess partly going and doing that work at Cumberland campus in Lidcombe, a really multicultural area. Mm. Prior to that, Julie had had, I guess, some reservations about, about being cut out for different cultures that she's spoken about before. But do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I think partly that reflected our different backgrounds. So I'd grown up with, in a CMS family, if you like, mum and dad worked with CMS in Northern Territory. I was born up in the North. And so an exposure to CMS, particularly in summer schools and all sorts of different things. And so that, that was just more on my radar. Julie had grown up in a, a non-church going family and the idea of, you know, moving out west of Sydney was at one stage, like a bit freaky. And so, so that was a bit harder for her. And so partly just in partly during college, she just wasn't ready necessarily to think about overseas, but yeah, at Lidcombe, it was well, the campus was a fairly multicultural, but the suburb itself was incredibly multicultural. And so our, our youngest, oh, sorry, our eldest child went to school there and in 90 kids in, in, in kindergarten, and he was one of four Anglos in that, in that grade. And, and, but from all different sorts of places, from Korea, from um, Middle East, from the island islands, very mixed multiculturally. And we actually found that we really enjoyed it. And Julie in particular really enjoyed getting to know the mums. In fact, connected better with the, many of the mums from other cultures than she did with the Anglo mums. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, particularly our, our eldest had a, his best friend was a Pakistani Muslim and just meeting that family and seeing their hospitality and yeah, and it was just a, I think an aware, a recognition that actually working cr- cross-culturally is something that we, we think that under God we could, we could do. So it was around 2005, I think, when you went to um, CMS summer school, that was a fairly significant summer school for you. Yeah. Tell us what happened there that, that really grabbed you and, and what you did next. Yeah. So we went to, two th- we'd been to various summer schools, but the 2005 one was particularly, I'm not sure what in particular, but Julie came home and said, I think I'm ready to think about overseas. And so I was on the, on the phone probably in the next few days to see him <laughs> lining up, lining up some conversations, some interviews. We then yeah, spent that year with the process of applying to CMS references and psych tests and medicals and all that sort of stuff. Willing to offer ourselves really anywhere in the world at that stage, particularly keen on student ministry, but not, not sure where, but, but keen to serve in that way. Just recognizing the, the needs and opportunities in other parts of the world and just challenged by the, the, the blessings we had in having Australia, particularly for student work and just the needs in other parts of the world. And so, yeah, we went through that process and thinking through applying, but with a fairly open offer in terms of doing student work somewhere else in the world. And then that, that, that sort of became a bit more defined as we moved forward. Okay. 
Now, I, I, I can see from your background um, in this uh, video call, you're in Melbourne, I'm in uh, Adelaide. I can see you're at St. Andrew's Hall uh, now, the fancy new building that's been such a blessing from God for our, our ministry of training up missionaries and, and helping equip uh, people uh, for going on location. Can you give us a bit of an idea of what it was like for you at St. Andrew's Hall? Yeah, so we came down in 2006. We packed up our house and uh, four kids between one and seven, I think they were. St. Andrew's Hall was very different. <laughs> in fact, we haven't been back since and we have our, been blown away by how, how lovely it is down here now and um, really how, how functional it is as well. Um, but we came down, it was a small, very small group that year, which surprised us. So there was uh, us as a family and three single women, plus some other um, people came over from New Zealand as well. But it was quite a different experience because we expected there to be other families and there weren't. Um, but we had, we had a great time. Uh, we loved exploring Melbourne and it really, yeah, it was a good challenge for us in terms of thinking, thinking through what was to come. It, it was a good stepping stone for us as well, that, that, that the idea that packing up and getting out, uh, getting us ready and coming down to Melbourne was a really good stepping stone for us in terms of just what was, what was yet to come. And I think helped us in terms of some of the fears we might've had about moving overseas. So that, that it was a really positive experience. Um, and when was it that you actually settled on Argentina? That was confirmed fairly early on in our time at St. Andrews Hall. And so we'd gone through that process of working out, yeah, that, that Argentina was a good option. But right at that time, the, the student movement in Argentina was looking for somebody to come. Peter and Terry Blouse had recently finished up there. And so, yeah, they were looking for a family to come and support the ministry. And it seemed to, like, to us a good fit. We had no experience, previous experience with languages. And so the idea of learning an Asian language freaked us out somewhat. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, Argentina, Latin America seemed like a good fit for us. So you, you went to Argentina at the end of 2007. Yeah. Uh, you took four kids over, all of them under 10. You spent a year doing language learning. Yeah, what was that like, that, that initial time for the family? Uh, well, full on, I think is probably the best yeah. way to describe it. So we're living in Buenos Aires, which is like a, you know, mega city, um, bustling people everywhere. We had a good year. We enjoyed the year. It was, you know, exhausting at times, but the kids settled in well, the kids found friendships, but at the same time, really found friendships with each other as well, which was great. We enjoyed the year of language learning and yeah, it was, it was certainly some challenges, but it was a really positive experience. Um, us in that first year. And during that year, the, the student movement of Bua decided that they were going to send us to Cordoba. And so to a city in the middle of Argentina, which I think was, you know, a wise choice. Uh, Buenos Aires long-term was going to be difficult for a family of six. Just getting around is, is not easy. And so the city of Cordoba is, is much smaller. One point, it's the second biggest city in Argentina, but 1.5 million. So a big difference. And same Tell thing. us a bit more about life in Cordova. I mean, you've been there now 14 years, yep. give or take the, the home assignments that you've come back, but that's obviously been a very significant part of the field's yeah, life. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the kids have grown up there and all done, finished their schooling there. It's so it's, it's a, it's not a spectacular city, but it's a nice city. It's a university city. So the, the university dates back to 1613. It's very much the, in some ways, the life of the city revolves around the university. So lots of university students, probably about 200,000 tertiary students in the city, which, which has, gives it a certain feel. People come from everywhere to study there all over, from all over Argentina and from neighboring countries. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a welcoming place. Funnily enough, Cordovaeses, as they're known, people from Cordova have a, a 
sense of humor, which is not unlike the Australian sense of humor, which is actually different from, they're even known for that, diff different from uh, other Argentines. But we've, yeah, I mean, we, we feel like we've settled in there well. We enjoy uh, the culture. We enjoy spending time with people. Yeah, and it's been, yeah, I guess it's, it's been the place where we've raised, raised our kids. And I guess you've seen quite a few generations of students going through over that time as well. Can you tell us about any of the students that have come through and the ways in which God has been at work through the ministry that, you know, around you and through you? Yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, we haven't actually seen that many generations of students because one of the strange things of Argentine student life is that the average student who finishes uni takes eight to nine years to finish. Wow. <laughs> We've seen some people graduate, yes, but we haven't, it's not like in Australia where you, you know, in three or four years, you've just got this constant turnover. Yes, we've seen people graduate, thanks to be to God, <laughs> but it is a long process, which, which means that you do actually spend a lot more time with people, not necessarily more time during the week, but more time, more over a period of time. And you're actually involved in their lives over a longer period of time. So we've actually done a fair bit of marriage preparation with our students as they finish uni or finishing uni and they get married and we actually we are involved in that process. So it's, it's, it's different sort of student ministry in some ways where a, a longer period of time, which is a real joy. And it means that our, and our, our graduates are often, who, they stick around and are quite involved in, in, in particularly in mentoring and helping the younger students because they've been involved for so long that they just, they, they, they keep helping out. In particular, one, one pair of graduates who are now married and we're working with them for what project for what we're going back to in, in next year. But, but, but she, Conti, um, became a Christian, not just through the student mo movement, but through a local church as well. But one, a, a friend from uni invited her along to church, invited her along to, um, to, to the uni group. And uh, over a period of time, uh, she became a Christian. She, she had, she shares that she, she, she was in, in Cordova, had come from a very rural area and felt very lost in the big city, was really quite depressed. And, and finding it difficult and um, from a Catholic background, but, but a not fairly nominal, I mean, practicing in some things, but not, not completely, but yeah, it, over a period of time, she came to understand who Jesus, Jesus is and put her trust in him. Yeah, as we often find it's quite, a, it's quite a process for many of them. It's not just something overnight. It's often a, a, a long process of getting to know Jesus in his word and, and being challenged about who he is and what it means to follow him. Tell us a little bit about the church situation in Argentina, because I, I know for, I, you know, in terms of how we think about uni ministry, student ministry in Australia, one of the key things is how people are connecting with churches as well, because we're mm. not assuming that mm. we have them forever, although you almost do have them forever with eight or nine years. But um, yeah, just tell what are the, what are the churches like? What's, what's life like for Christians? How, yeah, what would, how do those churches work? How does it complement with the ministry that you're uh, doing on the campus? Yeah. So Argentina traditionally is a Catholic country, constitutionally still a Catholic country, but the influence of the Catholic church has been declining significantly. So only about 60% now would actually identify as Catholic, and, but most of those people are nominal. That is, they're not practicing, don't go to church. The evangelical church has grown significantly in the last 30 years and would probably number now around 15% of the population. That is of those who would identify as, uh, as evangelical. Although of course there isn't uh, now second generation, there's quite a few nominal evangelicals. <laughs> um, whereas 30 years ago, it was quite difficult to say you're an evangelical Christian. And there was some level of uh, low, low persecution or, or just family difficulties in, in going to an evangelical church. 
in the big, that might still be the case in the, in the, in the rural areas, not so much in the big cities anymore. The evangelical church has grown significantly. So as the, as the Catholic church has declined, it's basically been replaced by two things. One is a growth in the evangelical church and one is a growth in secularism. And so interestingly, you've actually got the two are almost growing at the same rate in Argentina between secular, that is people who identify as no religion and people who identify as evangelical. When we say evangelical, most of that growth has been Pentecostal. So that in Argentina, we use the word evangelical to cover anyone basically who's not Catholic. Yeah. And so, and that varies greatly from one place to another. And, and there's a great range, of course, amongst the, amongst the Pentecostals from some, which some churches, which are very extremist and very super, superstitious. So there's one church in Cordova, which involves, you know, you can buy a rose, which has been blessed and you take it home and supposedly is going to cure cancer for you. And so there's some of those sort of things that come out, particularly from Brazil. There's a, a bit of that, but, but on the whole, the, the, the Pentecostal churches are at, 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 at preaching, preaching Jesus and yeah. And, and then there are, then there's a range of other evangelical churches, brethren churches, Baptist churches, which, which, are, which are, have, have grown as well, but not, not probably not quite as much. They've been, sometimes have been around a lot longer, but have not, not grown as much. Now, ministry in any context can have its ups and downs and I know there've been some real challenges for you guys in, in the campus ministry, and some of it's had a theological flavor to it. Do you want to just talk us through what some of those challenges have been and what that's, what that's meant for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. So one of our challenges has been basically a crisis in the national movement, in the national student movement, because of the, and there's been various layers of complexity to that crisis. Um, uh, but. There's been an underlying theological uh, disagreement, which hasn't always been brought out into the open, but that uh, underlying theological disagreement's been there, and which is essentially is to do with a type of liberation theology. Liberation theology is, is a Latin American theology, particularly developed amongst Catholics from Central America, but also has, in, has, influ has had influence in some Protestant churches. Basically recognizing, rightly recognizing, that there are great social needs in Latin America and nobody can deny those great social needs. We're confronted with that day by day. But I think in the end gives a wrong diagnosis and then, and therefore a wrong solution. And so liberation theology pushes the, basically in its different forms, pushes the solution that Jesus is a political liberator who has come to bring political liberation rather than pushing the fact, or as, as, I, as I think it works, is that Jesus has come to bring us reconciliation with God, which then has social consequences and then has consequences for how we live in society. Uh, so I think they've, they've got the order around the wrong way um, and therefore the gospel, while not always denied, will get, will get uh, moved out of place uh, and almost as, a, as an irrelevant thing. And so I so think- just, mm. Sorry, I was just gonna ask, how would that, when you take that sort of shortcut, to the, you know, Jesus, you know, working to, for the liberation of people. What, what does that end up looking like on a campus situation? I mean, I can see how the, I can see the appeal for students the world over really yeah. in, in trying to be active politically. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what it amounts to is that political activity is the most important thing. And that political activity either on campus or within the movement itself becomes the most important thing. And so many of those students got caught up in, well, the most important thing is that a Boer as a movement is all politically astute in terms of how we do things. And therefore, and we need to be very much connected with what's going on in society. And the main game becomes 
making political statements, whether that's within your movement or about what's going on in the society. Uh, and so it really shifts what the main game is all about. Instead of bringing the, a, a message of, uh, of the cross and, res and reconciliation with God as the main game, which then, as I say, has social consequences, but instead of making that the main game, the, the political maneuvering, both within the movement and, the, and without, becomes the main game. What sort of impact has this had on the students themselves? Yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah, as I say, a number of students got caught up in that, in that whole dynamic. And even within our local group in Cordova, students got caught up in that dynamic as politicizing our meetings. That became the most important thing, which is sad. And, and I think, and, and, and that, became, that was difficult relationally because it's a small movement. And so you're in relationship with everybody. And so that was painful. And basically, but basically what it came down to in the end is that the movement needed to separate because basically it was quite clear that they were heading in different directions and needed to go in, 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 yeah, and, and for, in separate paths that actually, that was the better way to go forward rather than trying to keep something together, which was always going to be in, in fighting and fighting and fighting that battle. And so it was actually a, a, a wiser step, although it was painful to actually go in two separate directions. Yeah. I'm sensing the the significant relational pain that comes through that sort of thing. I assume there are people that you've invested in over time and, and, and seeing people, I guess, having, having to part company with people presumably is, is deeply challenging. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we in Cordova had a leadership team of 15 students in, two, in one year and the following year based on decisions that we made and, the, and directions that we had, uh, we had a leadership team of four. And so that, yeah, that was, that was tricky and tricky, tricky after having invested your life into things. Yeah. And, and investing into people, but also into the movement, um, you know, at, and times we, we really felt that things were falling down around us, but I think it was helpful to be reminded as well, that actually in the end, you don't invest into structures, you invest into people. And even you've invested into people who may have um, not continued um, in the ministry that you're involved in, but you've still invested the gospel and you pray that that will bear fruit down the track. But it was a good reminder of, of, of that reality that investing into people and not just into structures, because the structures will come and go. Student movements in many, you know, it will come and go at one level and, and structural things go are, are changing all the time, but it's actually about investing the gospel into the lives of people. It's a tricky decision, isn't it, to be making, well, to be drawing a line. And yet, I guess you're doing that because of the, the great conviction that the gospel must be preserved. The gospel, you know, we, we, that, that the fact that our righteousness is measured as a result of the cross, not as a result of a series of political actions, is a significant enough thing for us to even have to go through these kind of breakdowns and breakups. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there was, there was the necess necessity to, to draw the line in the sand. In the end, it wasn't, although where there is the uh, foreign workers. So in the end, it was actually the, the Abua leadership that needed to draw those lines and which they did. And that's actually the decisions they made. And so, uh, where it, in some ways as the foreign worker, you're in a different sort of situation and needing to submit to leadership and at the same time both respected and not always respected by people there. Sometimes being the foreigner and particularly being a non-Latin foreigner, you can, you know, some people would think that your, your input is not actually all that valid because you're not, don't come from a Latin perspective. So that can be humbling as well at the same time. But 
but I think it, it, yeah. So in some ways, yes, we personally needed to draw lines and we, we expressed where we drew those lines with the Aboy leadership, but at the in the end, it was actually their, the leadership itself that needed to make those decisions. It's not, a, not a movement run by, by some of the, a handful of foreign workers, but actually run by Argentine leadership. Yeah. That's a really important principle, isn't it? Um, as you reflect on the pain of this and the, just the struggles of ministry generally, you, you know, I'm assuming you're not saying it, it wasn't worth it. It was, you know, I'm assuming that this is part of the, the cost of, of mission. Um, how do you, how do you process that spiritually? What's God been doing in your heart through this? And there, there have been moments where I've thought, I'm not sure if it's been processed, <laughs> if I'm honest. Right. <laughs> I, I think people have helped me to pull out of that. But you, you know, if you're honest, if I'm honest, there'd been moments where I thought, oh man, what have we done with the last 10, 12, 14 years? We've brought a family from overseas. We've, we've uprooted ourselves completely and it's falling and falling down around my ears. And so you do question, oh, has it, has it been worth it? Um, I think at that point, so I don't, I'm not sure it's wrong to express that if that's what's going on in your head, <laughs> but but I think, yeah, there were people there to help us see that that's actually not the only perspective. There is a bigger perspective. Yeah. And so that was helpful. One of those things was, yeah, re remembering that we've invested into the lives of people. Another was just God working through his word. The book of 2 Timothy became a really important encouragement to me during those years, working through that bit by bit and particularly seeing that Paul encourages the timid Timothy, which I, who I can greatly relate to. And, and, you know, and I can look back and see moments when I was too timid in terms of some of the things that went on in the movement and should have spoken up when, when things were being done. And I can relate to that. And also, but also the way that Paul encourages Timothy to really stand firm for the gospel, but at the same time, not get caught up in useless arguments. And so again, it comes down to that, making those distinctions between, well, which are the battles that we need to fight and which are the things that are disagreements that we're not going to get caught up in. And so the wisdom of actually working out or to be a faithful gospel worker, you need to actually make those distinctions. Where is the gospel at risk or needs to be defended or correct or, or those who are teaching other things need to be corrected? And where, when is it just stuff that, well, actually we disagree. It's not really that important. And, and, you know, we, we, we get on and work together or even, you know, when it's even more trivial that we just let fly over our heads. And so that was helpful for me in terms of really working out my convictions and, and what things needs to stand for and, and make decisions based upon so Yeah. Thank you for your candidness there. I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, it's, it's no small thing to see that, that sort of stuff happening. And in fact, you're planning to head back there. You're, you're on, in Australia at the moment, planning to head back for another season. You've got specific ideas in mind. Tell us about what the next tour, God willing, will, will hold. Yeah. So during, during the last time, tour of time in Argentina, one of our, uh, processes was to work out where God would have us to continue to serve. And, and we reached the conclusion that God would still have us in Argentina. We're changing fo focus slightly. So we, we've officially finished with the student movement, but we're still very much connected to them. And we hope we'll be, be a blessing to them because we're actually kicking off a gap year program which in Australia, where people may have heard of, so sort of like a year 13 program. So a, a program after school, but before work or university. And we've just seen a great need for something like that in Argentina. We've been encouraged by our kids to think about it as they've seen the needs 
as we mentioned before, students take forever to finish their degrees. Only one in four will actually finish their degree. And as I said, of those who finish, when that eight to nine years is of those who actually finish. Other things like the students in first year, a one in two will get to the end of the year and not have passed a single subject of first year. So all sorts of factors there going on. And that actually impacts the student ministry because of course they're overwhelmed by university. They're overwhelmed by life. They're not going to get involved in, in, in the university group or reaching out to their friends. And so what we're hoping to do is to, is that we're setting up a program, a one year intensive discipleship program, studying the Bible, thinking about Christian character formation, thinking about Christian worldview, thinking about basic ministry skills, but at the same time, learning how to study, thinking about uh, vocational guidance and thinking about how to actually be ready and pre well prepared for the for university or work whatever god has in store and so we've deliberately used that phrase so it's annual puente which means bridge year but the second line is preparate para tu vocacion so prepare yourself for your vocation we actually want to see students thinking about how god would have them serve in the future not just go to uni and find you know, just because oh i, I chose this course because my friend was doing it or i chose this one because i can earn lots of money or I chose this one because I heard it was easy. <laughs> no, no, extract, none of them are easy, but, but actually where, where would God have me serve? Where would God have me grow and, and minister during my time at university, but obviously down the track as well. What are some of the things that you would like your supporters to be, and our listeners to be praying for, for you as you start that ministry up? I mean, you've given us a bit of an idea of what you're hoping mm. for, but mm. yeah, give us a sense of, of your heart for our prayers. Yeah, we're really excited by it at the same time, really daunted by it because it's new. It's new in the Argentine context. It's, it's, it's hard, harder. It won't be straightforward to convince people to, to get involved and to put off going to uni, for example, for a year, given uni's already so long. We're convinced we'll actually cut people's time at uni, but it's not, we can't convince, we, we can't show any results yet because it's all new. We're praying for 15 students in this, in this first group next year. So we'd love prayer for that, that God would raise up 15 students, the right students and for that first group, and that would be a great blessing and benefit to them. It's one of the challenges is the Argentine economy. Inflation's running at 115%. And so trying to get anything going in that situation is not straightforward. We're raising funds. We have been raising funds with a, as a young couple working on this project and the funds have all been raised from within Cordova at this stage. So we're very thankful to God for that. And then that's enough for us, another sign that people are really see this as a good idea and, and are willing to invest in it. But we are obviously conscious of the the challenges economically, but also kicking off with a, a first group of students. Let's step back for a little bit and step up and just think about effectively what you've done over these decades, relocating your family to another continent and I guess taking the many learnings you had from your own student experience, but also your theological education and the, the riches that, that we've inherited here. Just, just tell us about what you think in the end, the reason is for relocating to another country. Why, why should somebody go follow your footsteps and, and why have you kept your family over there for this time? I think that the, the, the challenge that's really spurred us on is the concept of generosity. So we've been, those who've been given much are expected, expected to give much. <laughs> this doesn't quite, <laughs> my English is struggling, but, but we yeah, the concept of generosity that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter eight and nine, for example, that we've been given so many blessings and resources. Now that doesn't mean of course, that there's not lots to do in Australia. doesn't mean that there's lots of, still lots of student ministry to do in Australia. But for example, just thinking about student, student ministry in Australia, we have been incredibly blessed 
And so we need to be generous with those resources. It doesn't mean that it will always be one way either from Australia to, to elsewhere. In fact, we're already seeing that going everywhere. But the, I think the principle that Paul talks about it uh, from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is generosity. And, and really that we, those, those who have in this moment need to be generous with what they, what they have. And that includes resources, that includes funding, but it also includes people. And so we were just, we were challenged and we continue to, to be challenged by that, 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 that God calls us to be generous and we need to think seriously about how we might be part of that generosity. And for us, it meant us personally being part of that generosity as, as the great, as, as the motivation, I guess, of, of, of going to Argentina and sticking there. And we think that there's still things that we have, uh, that God has to do through us in that place. And to finish then, what, what would you say to somebody who's pretty early on in their thinking, you know, they've got options, maybe they have a vocation, maybe they're just, they just love the idea of ministry, whatever. Just what, what would you like to say to somebody in that sort of phase of life? Yeah, I think I'd like to say, yeah, get stuck into ministry and the opportunities that you have at the moment. So just get involved, get your hands dirty in, in whatever you can be doing at, at this time. And then I think I'd say seek the wisdom of others. I'm really convinced that we send missionaries. It's not just a case of missionaries putting up their hands and saying, I'll go. No, actually, uh, that we actually, church, as a church, as a church community, we send people. And so I think, I think one of the things to do is to ask, to be humble and to ask for the advice of others and be willing to say to people, do you think that I'm the sort of person or we as a family are the sorts of people that we should be, should, should be being sent? And I think even churches, we need to be thinking about well, actually not just waiting for missionaries, but actually tapping some people on the shoulder and saying, we think we should send you. <laughs> now there's, you, which is a, again, it's a generosity thing, isn't it? There's so much to be done in our local churches and we always feel like we don't have enough people and we don't have enough resources, but actually the generous thing sometimes is to say, look, tap on the shoulder. We think that you would be a good person or a good family, a good couple to send because we see in you that, that certain gifts and certain capacities. And I think the, the, from the other side, the person who's thinking about it needs to have the, it's good to have the humility and go and ask people, what do you think about us? What do you think about me heading overseas in this sort of role? Martin Field, your, your story is a great encouragement. It teaches us a lot, a lot to reflect on. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the ministry you're doing and, and the encouragement that that is. And uh, yeah, thank you for being on the Heart of Mission podcast. No worries, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heart of Mission podcast. What small role can you be playing in God's big plans? To find out more about CMS and opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch and local social media channels. CMS is a fellowship of Christian people and churches committed to global mission. We work together to set apart long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ for a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.